everybody. Good air of Shabbos. You are listening to Table for Two with Naomi Nachman on the Nachum Siegel Network. Our show is sponsored by Abels and Hyman. We taste better. Welcome to Thanksgiving weekend. Wow, I'm sure everyone's had a delicious time this weekend. Either they've had turkey or going to have a fabulous Shabbos meal uh, coming up tonight. But then last night we had uh, some deep fried turkey. So uh, everyone's busy with all their uh, festivities of coming up for Shabbat or whatever they had going on the weekend, whether you eat turkey on Thanksgiving or not. <laughs> but uh, it's been a great, um, you know, Thanksgiving's always a, a milestone for me because I came to America exactly today. The, I think today's the 28th. So I came to America on the 28th uh, of November in 1991. So that ma- I guess that makes it 23 years American that I am. So And then I met my husband exactly a year later on Thanksgiving. So I'm always Thanksgiving to Hashem that I came to America and I've had a great Jewish life over here. Not that, you know, where I was from wasn't great, but it was, it's wonderful here and lots of restaurants for me to eat at. And so just, a, you know, another thank you to Hashem for, and, and thank you, you know, for Thanksgiving weekend to Hashem for, for, uh, you know, my new home in America, you know, uh, different home than, you know, got Israel to look forward to one of these days, make an aliyah <laughs> and go eating my way through Israel is my dream and living, living in the land. So I look forward to one day, uh, thanking Hashem for my aliyah, which I will make in the future. Um, but today is all about Thanksgiving and, and we're going to have a great show. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Naomi Nachman and I'm about all the food all the time. I love to, sh- I love food. I love shopping for it, cooking, eating, eating, eating at restaurants. Anytime you don't feel like cooking. Give me a call. I'll cook it for you. I'll even deep fry a turkey for you. In fact, last week at AHC Appliances out in Cedarhurst, I deep fried a turkey. You can watch some of the, the clips that I did on my Facebook page. You can join my Facebook page, uh, The Aussie Gourmet. It got over a thousand fans now. Yay. I'm very excited. Or you can friend me on uh, Naomi Nachman, um, Pinterest, Twitter, you know, Instagram. What else am I leaving out? Oh, join my newsletter at theaussiegourmet.com and I have great recipes. But I want to hear about your cooking adventures and your exciting things that are happening with food in your life. Um, so you can email me, Naomi, at nachumsegel.com, and we'd love to hear from you. A couple of announcements. We have winners. Two, I'm announcing from two of the giveaways we've had the past month. We are in, uh, had a giveaway for from CKCA. All you had to do to be in the drawing uh, for the raffle for that was uh, join one of the CKE, CKCA kosher media uh, sorry, the CKCA, you know, it's the kosher cooking school out there in Brooklyn. You had to join one of the social media platforms and then you would be eligible to be entered into our giveaway. Um, so Leia Blumenthal, you are a winner. You won a free cooking class, um, at CKCA. So email me at Naomi at NachumSiegel.com and I'll send you the details. And, uh, we had another giveaway, Leia Shapira and Victoria Dweck's amazing restaurant cookbook um and the winner for that is drum roll we oh we should have planned a drum roll zk zk zk's got a drum roll let's have a drum roll for leah shapira's amazing book okay do we find it okay zk's gonna give me a drum roll the winner is sorry brody oh i like that can we do that again yeah sorry brody great thanks zk that was a bit of a thrill on this Friday morning. Um, thank you very much for that. <laughs> so congratulations to uh, all the winners there, and we're going to have lots more giveaways in the next uh, couple of months, including hopefully some some for Hanukkah, which is coming up very soon. I have a great show for us today. 
We're going to do a little bit of a, a bit of a flashback Friday. I don't know if some of you remember, but I had the opportunity to go to Alaska to be a kosher caterer. I was invited by my friend Michelle Conrad to be flown out to cater her daughter, her daughter's bat mitzvah. And I had the privilege of working with uh, the Rebertson Greenberger out in um, Alaska in Anchorage at the amazing Chabad Center. And Michelle put me up with her neighbor, Sarah Bram, Sarah and Michael Bram, who became very fast friends with us. They had four little girls. I've got four big girls. So that was like, you know, uh, we reminded of each other uh, of what the future or the future for them would, would be like in the past, what was like for me having four little ones, four little girls at once. So um, we had a great time and it just happens to be that we had tons of mutual friends in common and we really hit it off. But the coolest part about my trip to Alaska was actually Michael Bram. Michael Bram is stationed, they are there, Sarah and Michael are stationed in Alaska because he's a chaplain in the U.S. Air Force. So I said, how can I turn this down? An, an opportunity, now remember I did this interview before Rosh Hashanah. So Michael's got the, um, you know, we had we did an interview with them of Michael and Sarah Bram at their apartment on Matzah Shabbos about a week before Rosh Hashanah and what it's like to be from and kosher in the U.S. Air Force. So let's play that interview, ZK. Um this part of the interview is not going to be on the YouTube part, um, but it's uh, of the uh, of this uh, edition. But you can listen to it on NachumSiegel.com or on the podcast or on your iPhone on the go. Um, so let's play that. I've just uh, spent Shabbat in Alaska. It's been absolutely incredible. Um, I've got so much to share with everyone. So I'm going to um, sitting here in the uh, kitchen. Uh, with Sarah and Michael Bram. Uh, they are probably the coolest Jews I know <laughs> um, because they're so different and out of the box and we love it. Um, Michael, okay, Michael, you are the chaplain in the... Uh, I'm, yeah, yeah you, you'll say your official title. I am an Air Force chaplain currently stationed at Joint Base Elmendorf-Richardson in Anchorage, Alaska. Okay, that is super cool. So you are a chaplain in the U.S. Air Force, basically, Correct. and he's based out here in Alaska. What's your background? How did you end up in the U.S. Air Force? And he and and you, ha- he's a Rav, he has smicha, and he's a astrophysicist. He's like one really cool, smart <laughs> guy. Um, okay, well, how did you? It, it, how did this all start? It was my lifelong dream to be an astronaut. Um, so, you know, I, I majored in college in astrophysics, and I was in Air Force ROTC. I joined the Air Force in college. Um, that was that was my, my career path, was to try and be an astronaut. Air Force had other plans for me. God had other plans for me. So I ended up in a, in a different career field, and I was stationed for most of that time in North Dakota, where there was no Yiddishkeit whatsoever. Well, you, you were not Orthodox at this no, point. I, I, I have a Reform background. I grew up a Reform Jew. Okay, you grew up Reform. Mm-hmm. Um, and because th- there's only currently six Jewish chaplains and I can do it in the Air Force, um, most and places don't get one. So a chaplain is o- always Orthodox? No, not always. No, out of the six Jewish chaplains in the Air Force, four of us are Orthodox, one's conservative, one's reform. Okay. Um, but the, there was nothing near me, and, and so most places the Jewish program is run by a lay leader, whoever is some airman on the base who was just, you know, had some initiative and who was just, just uh, willing to. Because there's so few Jewish, there's so few Jewish chaplains in the Air Force. There's, there's, there's only six in active duty right now. Most bases don't have one. So if you're stationed at a base that doesn't have a Jewish chaplain, then the Jewish program hopefully is run by a lay leader, just you know, regular airman or soldier or sailor, whoever, um, who is willing to to uh, run the program. And that was me for about two and a half of my three and a half years in North Dakota. 
Um, I ran the program there, and it ended up becoming more important than my real job. I had plenty of time to read and learn, and, I, and a couple of Air Force chaplains would, would give me lists of books to read. And there was a point at which I, I, I had become Orthodox, at least in my head, but in North Dakota, that's really hard, you know, hard to do on your own. Um, so I knew I had to go to Yeshiva. I, I knew I had to separate from the Air Force, and I liked, but I liked being in the Air Force. So someone said that I should just want, you know, that, hey, Mike, you should be a rabbi, be a chaplain. And I dismissed the idea as just, you know, ridiculous. Like, I, did, I didn't feel like I was rabbi material, or I still kind of feel that way a little bit. <laughs> um, but the idea, you know, stuck in my head that I, I can do what's important to me, and I can stay in the military, and I can do, you know, I, I can combine the best of both worlds. So that's what I did. I, I left the Air Force in 2003, and I went right to Yeshiva. I was there. Were you already starting to be from at that point, starting I, to keep a little bit of Shabbos or Kashrut? As best I could. You know, like I said, I, I was totally alone. Um, I, I didn't have, you know, besides the books, you know, there wasn't a lot of, a lot of support. And, I, and when, you're, when you're, you're in the military, um, you know, certain missions happen every day of the week. So I, I had a job where, the, where I didn't get weekends off. Um, uh-huh. so, so I kept kosher as best I knew. And I, and I would do more every now and then. You know, becoming religious is not a one day you're not and one day you are. It's a process. It's a process. So, a so, so I was growing in in that process. You know, I would stop eating forbidden animals, or I stopped mixing milk and meat, and and then you know, by the end I was totally from in my head, but didn't know how to act that out 100 percent until I spent some time, you know, in a from community, which is what I, 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 I ended up doing going to Muncie. You went to Muncie where in Muncie? Where did you go? Or Samach in Muncie. Or Samach, and they kind of moved into the dorm and you started learning. And yes. Took yes, it from there. It was as far away from North Dakota as you can possibly get in almost every sense of the word. Muncie, North Dakota, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's what I was looking for. Okay, well, so that's when you started becoming from, and that's how you met your lovely wife. Yes. Sarah is sitting right next to me. It's a small world when I found out I was coming to Alaska um, to cater Hadassah Conrad's bat mitzvah. So we kind of, uh, my friend Michelle Conrad put me in touch with her next-door neighbor, Sarah Bram, uh, where I would be staying for Shabbat. And Sarah and I had tons of mutual friends, like real friends in common. So that was really nice. So thank you, Sarah, for hosting us as well. It's our pleasure. We're so happy to have you and your husband. It's, it's a big physic for us to have from people passing through, and we have so much in common. So. Okay, great. And you have four little girls, so we have four girls, so we definitely had a nice lot of things in common. Yes. Um, so we're in Anchorage, Alaska, and um, before I came, uh, Sarah called me and said, can you bring me a few things for Shabbos and for Yontif because, you know, it's uh, Tishrei's not that far away. Um, so I packed up, thanks to the amazing Gomeglat team. Um, so uh, we got, I think I bought some gefilte fish and feta cheese. and Chickens and, and what else did I ask for? Ground uh, beef. Ground beef, beef right? <laughs> right, right. Naomi brought me probably 150 Dollars worth of just in shipping the 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 process. I'm sure it was you know at least four hundred dollars worth of meat that we'll use for the next two months probably. Amazing. You you can't take being kosher for granted. <laughs> you know here it's unbelievable. Um, everything that was ordered for the bat mitzvah had to be shipped in. Like you can get a lot of dry goods with OU and OUD, OK, Chafke, but you know you want those meats. You can't get kosher meat here, right? You can buy a little bit of frozen chicken, empire chicken. It's not, I wouldn't, because it's shipped in, it's frozen for a long time. I wouldn't say it's the best quality here. And you pay much more because of the shipping costs um, up front. 
Yeah, so. I, no- I noticed some of the roast I was cooking for the bat mitzvah were the actual price of the meat was comparable to, say, what we pay in the five towns in Gomeglat. But the shipping costs adds do- many, many dollars per pound. So if something's nine ninety nine per pound, you'd be paying $15 a pound for something that's, you know, just to just in shipping costs. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that that's for most things in Alaska. You know, we have we have fish that we make here and everything else is shipped in. Funny, so. funny story about the bat mitzvah. It was amazing. Like everything was shipped in except the salmon, which they caught in the summer and vacuum packed and frozen. Like we go to the supermarket and we buy our salmon in, in uh, our local supermarkets. We buy our Aussies fish. Uh, shout out to them. But we do not catch our own fish and then use it. So I thought that was really very Alaskary and very cool. Okay, so Michael, I've got some tons of questions. So you've become form from you're now married to Sarah. You're now decided to go back to the Air Force. Yes. And then what happens? Uh, I I reapplied for active duty and, and you know it was a, it was a it was a process and some interviews and I was accepted and our, I was notified actually personally by the Air Force Chief of Chaplains, a two star general. Two-star general, that's that, cool. <laughs> that there was a space available in Germany. Germany. And if I wanted to go out to duty, that's where I had to go. Okay, so how, how long are you married at this point? Uh, that was so about four years. Okay, so you knew that this could happen. You could be... I wasn't expecting Germany to be our first move. They don't, I really was expecting us to be at least somewhere in the country. They We're the first one. They don't generally send chaplains in their first assignment overseas because it wasn't my first assignment in the Air Force that I felt that I could handle overseas assignment. Okay. So you go to Germany. Was that a hard experience being kosher from raising a family on an Air Force base? Um, it was definitely challenging. I mean, we we lived a at Ramstein Air Base, which is half an hour from the French border and an hour and a half from south of Frankfurt, an hour and a half from Strasbourg, France. Um, we did... Major kosher shops, I would say, once every month, month and a half in Stroudsburg. How um, far was that from where you were? An hour and a half drive. We would make a whole day trip of it. We'll go to Stroudsburg. We get there by noon. We'll have lunch in the kosher restaurant, the lovely dairy kosher restaurant there. Um, it's like living in Woodmere and driving to Teaneck to do your shopping. <laughs> and then we'd go to the, let's see, what do we do after that? After that, we would take all the things that we needed to toyble to the mikvah there. And then try right, to catch a go to the try to catch a minion, go to the grocery store around three o'clock. And then after the grocery store, we hit the French bakery, which is the pastry is unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> and then take some for the road and on our way back home by five. I used to get the government to um, buy some uh, jelly donuts for Hanukkah every year for the uh, Jewish community on the base. And I always ordered 50 and only 48 made it back. I don't know what happened to those other two. Yeah. They were, I they know were what happened to those. <laughs> I mean, um, so you were, so did, you, did you do a lot of stuff for the guys on the base? Like how many Jewish guys were – I mean, there's well, probably every base is different. Is there a typical amount of Jews on a base, Well, identifiable Jews or people that mm-hmm. say they're Jewish? Because there's probably some people that don't admit it just like or don't realize it. Just like in the general population, we're about 2% of the population. So the same holds true in the military. Now, Ramstein is the largest American community outside of America. There's 53,000 Americans there. So We have 53,000 troops in Germany? At this base. At this base at counting. any given time? No, I'm just talking about we, this yeah. Germany base. No, that counts families too. Uh-huh. Um, I, 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 I'm not sure how many, are, are, how many Americans are in Europe in general. Um, but, you know, there's a large presence there. Um, so, so 
you know, if, if you have 53,000 Americans, you're, you're going to have a decent amount of Jews. Um, and so I can get a list from the personnel office of every airman, soldier, sailor, marine whose records identify them as Jewish. However, if their records don't say it, I don't know who they are uh-huh. unless they find me. And we used to do a lot of outreach just walking around the, 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 uh, the commissary and the exchange and the Yamatha. You know, I get, I get bageled a lot. Bageled. People come up to me and start you know, saying something Jewish. Is, did you say bageled? Yeah. That's what my daughter told me. In, she's in Queens College. She says people trying to check out if she's Jewish. The, the yeah. term is called bageling. Right. So, <laughs> so I get bageled a lot because I walk around in a yarmulke and a uniform. Um, and so I stick out, which is great. I'm, I'm happy to stick out. I'd be like one of four guys in the American army that do this. It's a small number, yeah, yeah. to be sure. So, I mean, on paper, we had about 50 Jews at Ramstein, and we would get them, you know, a large crowd for Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and, and, and for the Seder. It's on a weekly basis. We had, you know, we had a weekly Friday evening service. We'd get about maybe 10 to 12. And who cooked for you guys? Sarah. Sarah, we, that we, would come into your house and you'd like be the... Yeah, like a Chabad house, and we brought everyone home every week. Um, like a Chabad house. <laughs> yeah, for dinner. Um, yeah, and, yeah. and, I mean, I, I want to think that they came for the inspiration and for the Judaism, but I know realistically that they came for the food. Yeah, and so, I'm okay with that. And, <laughs> and just, you know, Sarah's actually trained as a chef. She did the uh, cooking, she went to the cooking school under Chef Yochanan Lambiasi way back. Jerusalem Kosher Culinary Institute. The Jerusalem Kosher Culinary Institute. Yeah, back in its day. She was in the first women's class, right? I was. I was. Okay, so all these guys would come to you Friday night. You right. would. So I would cook for probably, I would say, 15 to 20 people. And we'd see who would show up. Sometimes we'd get three, and sometimes we'd have 20. D- did you get funding for all this cooking? If we had an event in the chapel then we could use chapel funds for it. But that was about once a month we had a big dinner in the chapel. But if it was dinner in our house, it was just... We felt uncomfortable to take money because we didn't want people to think that we were using government funds inappropriately. So Our tax dollars at work. <laughs> it was something that we did. We wanted to have more of a Jewish community and more of a kahila to reach, you know, for our own personal, you know, for our own personal spirituality right. to reach out to. So they came. We fed them. And, 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 and where'd you get... When you say your tax dollars hard at work, it's actually not tax dollars. In a chapel, there's two pots of money. One is appropriated funds. That is government dollars, your tax dollars. And that goes for, like, buildings and prayer books and communion wafers for the Christians, that kind of thing. The other pot is called CETOF, Chapel Tithes and Offerings. And that is the money that is donated by the people who attend. You know, like the Christians pass the plate around on Sundays. That's the money that we would use for, for meals, is money that was donated by the community. Very nice. Like the community from the guys themselves? Mm-hmm. Oh, very nice. At every non-Shabbos you know, event, we would pass a pouch around and ask them for money because we want them to pay for the things that we're doing. Right, um, very nice. They get the building for free, everything else for free. It's nice to have some money for food. <laughs> that, that would be great. Um, so, And that, the food you prepared was the food you got when you went to right. Strasbourg and all that. Okay. Right. So after you did your Germany stint, you you went around to... You've lived, you know, it's the typical, you know, Army, Navy, Air Force. You get shipped around a lot, and you did a few, couple of three-year stints. Yeah, we went after Germany. We were in Germany three years, and we went to San Antonio for three years. Okay, San Antonio, Texas. So you went from the really hot now, hot there, to the really cold here in Alaska. Yeah. Big change, because in San Antonio, there's a decent-sized community. Here is a very, very small Jewish community, um, there's not always a minion here, right? Like it's. Hard. I mean, 
every time there's a service, there's a minion, you know. Okay. But but there's there's not enough people to to warrant having a service every day. There's, there's no daily services. So I, I think that's that's smart because you wouldn't you wouldn't get people to have. You know, there's I don't know how many Jews there are here, but there's there's not really enough to. Who would who who would come to warrant a daily service? We're we're uh, we spent Shabbat um, in is this downtown Anchorage? Midtown. Midtown Anchorage. The Chabad Rabbi in Rebetzin, Rabbi uh, Rabbi in Rebetzin Greenberg. Greenberger. Greenberg. Greenberg. They are, I have to say, amazing. They were just so warm and hospitable and just the outreach that they have done in this community is really, really wonderful. I got to spend some time with them over Shabbat and, and uh, Rebus and Esty uh, let me come in and cook in their gorgeous kitchen. If you've ever been on an Alaskan cruise or you've come to visit Alaska and you've come to the Chabad Center, you know what incredible work they've done. They have done and will continue to do in the, in the Talmud Torah that they have here and, and the preschool and you know, give them a little plug if you want to donate towards their... Uh, <laughs> They're needing a new food processor, um, so a uh, professional size one. They just got a big uh, challah mixer, which I was really excited for, except it came about three hours after I made 10 pounds of challah dough <laughs> by hand. Um, so, yeah, it's really they were really wonderful, and we had a wonderful Shabbat there. Um, so there is, you know, what to do. Now, let's talk about the Shabbat times, and then we're going to switch back into the army. Um, okay, so we are now in uh, fall over here, and Shabbat came in at about 8 Went out about 8.30, came in about 8.15, went out about 9.30. So that's like typical New York in June. So this is, um, I guess, fall here. So it's, you know, the kids were really excited when um, the Bram girls got to see nighttime and hear Havdalah for the first time. Um, what's the shortest day here? Uh, Mid-December. I, you know, I, that's become almost everywhere in the uh, northern hemisphere, um, late late. Remember, mid-December is the uh, uh, shortest of the year. I, I haven't been here for that yet, so I don't know exactly. Okay, so, right. like, can you imagine, like, what time's Hanukkah? What, can, what time can you light candles? Like, 3 o'clock in the afternoon? Somewhere, I, I, haven't, I haven't looked it up. It's, I, I, it's short if you want, but uh, somewhere around there, it's, it's uh, I think, I think sunset's around 3, 30, 4 o'clock. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. So, yeah, they've only been here for two months. We were looking up before Asarabatevet. Yeah, it's like a four-hour fast. It's a four-hour fast, five-hour fast. It comes in, it starts at 10 and ends at 4. What a lucky you guys. Okay. Summer ones are hard. Yeah, I'm sure. Probably that, were you guys here for Tisha B'Av? Yeah, Shibas of is really the one that, that feels the hardest because it's, it's the one that, that should be a short fast, but it was 24 hours here. Uh, Tisha B'Av was 25-ish, and Shibas of was like 23 and a half hours, I think. It's so cool. Can you explain a little bit about the degrees of the earth? And, and how they can't calculate when the real's right. money is. So I, I happen to be a Talmud of the Gateshead Rav, Rav Zimmerman, and he also lives in a very northern community, northern England, so he was a good person to ask about Zvanim and things. Um, the, the most common, at least I'm not passing for anybody, but the most common sheet that I'm aware of um, is for, for when nightfall is, when that safe is, is when the sun hits eight and a half degrees below the horizon. Uh, as an astrophysicist, I understand what these... What this means. As a, as a trained kindergarten teacher, I have no mm-hmm. idea what you're talking about. So, <laughs> however, in the, in the summer, that doesn't happen here. The sun doesn't get that far below the horizon. So if you go on myzmanin.com and, and you look up the times for Anchorage in June, for the Tseis column, you'll see a bunch of X's. Because it can't, it, it can't calculate Tseis. So you, it, it involves a number of Shilas, and, and there, you know, you always, in any question, various opinions about when then you would bring out Shabbos. Either Hatzos, or or I know that the um, 
the Gra holds four and a half degrees approximately, so that actually happens here. Um, if you go further north, like the Fairbanks or even north of there, that would be a, a bigger problem. Um, but so, you know, it ends up being shops, ends about 1.30 in the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning sometimes. So you make Havdalah the next day? Yeah, and you go to bed at regular time, and you make, make Havdalah Sunday morning. Oh, my gosh. So cool. Like, so people who go on Alaskan cruises, it's a whole different, you know, Shabbat experience. Like, they go to bed when it's still sun It's still up. daylight outside, for sure. Broad you go to daylight, bed and It looks, at about 2 o'clock in the morning, it looks like dusk. <laughs> it doesn't get totally dark for uh, quite some time. It's crazy. Wow, really. I guess Hashem knew what he was doing when he created planet Earth. <laughs> Don't they nickname this the Jews here the Frozen Chosen? That's what the Reform Schools call. Yeah. yeah the That's their <laughs> well, website. Right. Well, the weather's been lovely here. You know, it rained a bit. We got soaked walking home from Shul last night, but at least it wasn't snowing, so I was happy about that. Um, okay, so let's go back a little bit to the base. So. Um, where do you, when you're deployed anywhere in the world, or not you per se, but an army chaplain, a religious army chaplain from Guy, gets deployed somewhere in the world, what does he eat when he's away? When he's, you know, you're not with your family, right. and you've been assigned somewhere. Um, well, I've done that a couple of times. I've been to Iraq, I've been to Afghanistan, I'm, I'm, I'm headed to the Middle East again in about four months. Um, and it, it, I, I think in most things, it takes a bit of flexibility. You know, it, it's, it's, as you commented before, it's a very outside-the-box life, and so it requires an outside-the-box approach to halacha. Not that I eat anything trace, God forbid, but I, you, know, you get to know what's a chumrah and what's a minhag and what's the actual halacha. So you know, every deployed base has a dining facility, um, and some things there are kosher. You know, the cereal is kosher, and the soy milk is kosher, and, and the, you know, some parts of the salad bar are kosher. You know, I've, I've, been, I've been seen sitting over a styrofoam cup full of lettuce, or, or broccoli, you know, what are you doing? Um, I'm checking for bugs so I can eat a salad in the, in the uh, dining facility. Um, they also make kosher field rations. Oh, I was going to ask you about the yeah. kosher. What is that? What's a, number one, let's say, what is a field ration? What is it really? Well, they're officially called MREs, Meals Ready to Eat. And okay. it, it's a shelf-stable, it doesn't need refrigeration, meal. And they're designed for when a soldier goes out into the field and he or she is not near a base, they have what to eat. Um, if they're on the field for a number of days or weeks, however long, um, they can they can carry food, and so they're very high in calories. That's okay. the point. So you can live on one a day. Um, so so they since the first Gulf War they've been they've been making kosher ones. Like are you? Or uh, whatever. texture. Yeah. Okay. It's a company called My Own Meals, and they make the halal ones as well. Um, and the the dairy ones are both halal and kosher, and the flechic ones are some halal, some kosher. Um, and they're they're not bad, you know. Having having in a former life, uh, so to speak, eaten the uh, the uh, trafe ones, and eaten the kosher ones, and eaten the Pesach ones, the kosher ones are pretty good. As they have separate ones for Pesach too. They do, and those ones are fantastic. I even, you know, <laughs> so he don't have to cook anymore. <laughs> He'll just eat those Pesach meals. Okay, and we're back. Yeah, so you can have just check and everything's working. So you you have the Pesach meals, yeah. okay, like I, I, I including with matzah. Yeah, I mean, the, it comes in a box, and there, there's there's gefilte fish, and there's matzah, and there's maybe 15 or maybe 12. Wait, I don't understand. You have ready-to-go that can sit around for months gefilte fish? Well, sure, it does in a jar in a grocery store all the time. That, that, oh, that, yeah, that, forgot that about that. Stuff. Um, this comes in a box. Nobody really eats that. Oh, uh, yeah. People eat that? Oh, okay, cool. Kosher doesn't always mean edible. 
<laughs> so you edible. said right, but you said it tastes quite good. The pesos. Well, the the um, the entrees. There is there is a chicken and potatoes and a beef stew that are actually pretty good. Um, huh? I try to avoid eating too many. Like I said, they're 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 not super healthy because they're very high in calories. So there, you know, when you go to a base, there's also at least, at least a larger base downrange. Um, there's an exchange, and so you you know I. What the, do you mean exchange? Like a shop? Yeah, like what? Macaulay, the Macaulay, the yeah, army Macaulay. We call it the exchange, um, and and uh, you know you can buy, you know fish that, that's kosher, and you know crackers and peanut butter. I, I try to eat as healthy as possible. Right. Well, you know, variety. You guys, not, you're in the army. You got to stay in shape. Right. Well, so I spend a lot of time in the gym. Um, <laughs> Variety's not happening so much, but I like. I like routine, so I don't mind the same thing every day. Yeah, my husband's um, a creature of habit with breakfast too. <laughs> and there's a ton of organizations out there that send food to military troops. People really? Like, let's, let's talk about that. Let's give that a shout out because you know, for all the guys that are out there, all the Jewish guys, they probably want some yeah. donations or food sent to them. How can yeah? Could you so explain a little there's bit? There's a few organizations. Uh, people like Kosher Troops um, do fantastic. Koshertroops.com. Yeah. When I showed up in Afghanistan for Passover two years ago, there were before I got there, there were boxes and boxes of Passover goodies. Not necessarily things you need for the Seder, but things you want: macaroons and junk food and marshmallows and and you know you know jars of gefilte fish. Can I send you a potato kugel? Can I send the guys potato kugel? I'll, I'll give it to somebody else because I don't <laughs> eat potato kugel. I don't like it. But yes, please. Um, no potato kugel for Michael. The Olive Institute, which is a Chabad organization, they're the ones who send shmur matzah. If, if, if it wasn't for them, I probably wouldn't have some more matzah, which is, you know, obviously very, very important. And they send Seder kits. Um, the Jewish Welfare Board also sends all kinds of Passover food um, or, you know, other uh, needs, holiday or otherwise. Um, the things they do aren't free, and they rely on the support of the general community. And um, our listeners on the Nachum Siegel Network. So, so, so if people want to actually donate to kosher troops, they can just go to the... Koshertroops.com? Yes. And um, I don't know how it works exactly, but you can go to their, their uh, website. I know that, that Amazon Smile, you can you can donate through them to organizations, and, and they're one of them. So you can just, you oh, can just pick really them. Oh, that's really nice. And if you shop on Amazon, they give a, a percentage to them. Um, that's really a, so. nice, a nice thing to do. Well, we got to, we got to send uh, and for you know Purim. I'm sure the guys would love some hamantashen and candy and cheesecake for Shavuos. Yeah, the Aleph Institute sends. <laughs> what What did you say? Olive? The Aleph Institute. Aleph. Yeah. A L E F. A L E P H, I think. Aleph Aleph Institute dot com, um, I guess. We just Google it. Or yeah. Google it. There yeah. you go. We love um, Google. They send shelf stable cheesecake. For uh, Shavuos. Oh, fantastic. I don't know how they get it to not go bad. Maybe I'll go to Afghanistan and cook for the troops for Pesach. That would be cool. Qatar or Germany. <laughs> wow. Um, unbelievable. When I first met Michael and I found out that he does this, I'm like, we got to do an interview together to share with our listeners about the incredible experiences. What is the, you know, to both of you, what is the most way out kosher experience that you've had? Now I'll give you a minute to think about it. We've had way out experiences, but none of them involve kosher's. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I for think me, so far, it's Alaska. Alaska, yeah. I would say for me, you know, with the military, we've traveled quite a bit. And it's been very neat to see different communities and, and the different things that they consider, you know, the, the kosher communities in Holland and in Paris and... Um, 
you know, in, in, even in LA, like things that people consider cultural to them. You know, for example, in Holland, they told us we went there for a Shabbos and we stayed by the rabbi and his family there. And they told us they had a, a dairy shell shittis and they have this like amazing herring. That's like this. It, it's it's a standard. It's Michael's a standard. like shaking his head, but I'm so hearing. Good. Oh, so I good. love herring. <laughs> it was a. It's a standard in Amsterdam that this type of herring is like just everybody would not just the Jews, but you know, like everybody serves it. And they also had this this um, box of like little chocolate sprinkles that apparently it's very classic. Like every child from Amsterdam comes home and has sliced bread with butter and these little sprinkles, sugary chocolate sprinkles or sugary pink and yellow sprinkles. It sounds like a fairy bread sandwich that Australian kids eat. <laughs> our, our first year in Germany, I have a good friend who was originally from Hamburg and he got married in Berlin in the fall of 2008. It was a big deal, a very, you know, it was a firm wedding. Um, and so we went right after Stuckus. And so we're in Berlin and we're doing our you know, meat shop and we bought every single pound of kosher ground beef in the city of Berlin. We bought. That's hilarious. They were not that, happy with that. us. So we like rolled out of town with all their meat. <laughs> that's a very, see, that's a good story. That's very funny. It's been neat to experience, you know, through the military since we've traveled so much, it's been neat to experience how different communities, you know, ex- have their, their kosher shopping and their kosher dining and that kind of thing. It's been really, really like a very interesting progress for us to figure out. Okay, so Michael, any final stories or anything uh, you want to share? My first tour of duty in Iraq. The, out of the blue, one day I get this package from a church in New Jersey. I don't remember the name of it. It was like 50, 75 labyrinth meals. They had just, just decided that the Jews at Joint Base Balad Need uh, it. And with a needed. So I'm like, I ate like a king. I'm passing out meals every Jew I can find. Here's That's some food. That's so nice. That all came from a Christian group in New Jersey. Sent kosher meals. Who I'd never heard of. Kosher meals Randomly. to the troops in, where were you? Blah, in Iraq. In Iraq. Yeah. Unbelievable. It was awesome. It was awesome. The chesed that yeah. people show when you talk about soldiers at war, or, well, hopefully, I guess it. Was America at war at that time? It I mean, was 2009. Yeah, we were, yeah. And, we were and shelled every day at this base. Wow. I remember giving a sermon from the floor. <laughs> the alarm goes off and why should I stop talking? So. <laughs> that's what everybody, that's what every rabbi does. Wait, and, and um, so what do you do about like, so you're, you're in a war situation and just Shabbat really is, every, all this stuff is kind of put on hold, right? Like. I mean, certainly there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of uh, life-threatening situations going on when you're in Iraq. Um, so, so you have to know what you can and can't do on, sh- on, on Shabbos. Um, you know, I carry a pager, and if it goes off, it's a real emergency. Um, so you have to answer it. And that's totally okay. Right, of course. Um, like doctors in shul all the time. Right. There was a... Um, when I was there on the second night of Rosh Hashanah, there was a helicopter crash from the base. And so you, when you hear the, the loudspeaker, all personnel report to the hospital. Not that... Not because something good happened. So, I, you know, um, there was a sandstorm coming out of nowhere, and the helicopter crashed on the base, which actually made it safer to go and go, go and um, rescue them. Um, but that, yeah, obviously. But you have to deal with, unfortunately, you know, talk, it's mainly a kosher food show that we have here on the Nachum Siegel Network. <laughs> but um, where, where, um, I just want to talk about, like, if you have, you know, a death on the base or anything, like you have to deal with that too, right? Sure, you have to do the shmirah for the body and. If you're Jewish, yeah. Of course, if, right. right. Um, Shmirah and the Tehillim and getting the body ready to be 
deployed back shipped. I don't know how you call it. What's uh, the right term? Yeah, I mean, I mean taking um, the bodies back. You'd be prepared. In terms of preparation, back. that's done by usually mortuary affairs. But if it's Jewish, then I'll help supervise that. Um, you know, I, I've had to watch autopsies before um, that the were just you know unavoidable autopsies. Um, and you know, it's it's an unpleasant part of the job, but it's an important part of the job. You know, it means a lot to the families of people that that were serving. Wow. When they know that there was a rabbi with their their loved one all the way all the way home. Wow, amazing. You do such incredible work, both of you. Just want to wish you both, um, you know, good strength and mental strength and physical strength and to be able to continue the work that you do. Um, just really an inspiration and so different. It's great to have met you guys. And to Thank you for giving us the time to uh, share with us and our listeners. And this is Naomi Nachman from... Anchorage, Alaska, all the whole trip that I've been here, I keep saying to Sarah and my husband, I can't believe I'm in Alaska. It's really a beautiful place, and I recommend everybody come and visit and spend Shabbat with the amazing uh, Chabad of Alaska. Just bring us some food. Yeah, and, and be in touch with Sarah for the next two and a half years that they'll be here and ask her what she needs you to bring. Koshertroops.com and... The Aleph Institute and the Jewish Welfare Board send our troops some chalas for Shabbos. Okay, thanks. Good Shabbos. That was Captain Michael Bram out in Anchorage, Alaska. As you heard, he mentioned kosher troops. And I just happened to have on the phone with me Sarah. Hello. Hello. Hi, Sarah First from Kosher Troops all the way in Monsey, correct? Yes. Hi, Sarah. Thank you for joining me. Uh, we actually met last week at Kosher Fest, where I saw a lot of the booths had uh, the Kosher Troops um, logo on it, and I thought that was great that um, a lot of the companies out there are supporting Kosher Troops. Tell me what Kosher Troops is. Kosher Troops is a nonprofit organization, and we send care packages to the Jewish American troops that are deployed all over the world and the ones that are stateside. Fantastic. And how did you get this idea together? So um, what a beautiful mitzvah. Um, actually, that's how it started, as a chesed, as a mitzvah project for my daughter's uh, bat mitzvah almost uh, seven years ago. And um, it just basically, once we did it for Purim, we did it the next following Yom uh, which was uh, Pesach, and then we went to the next one, Shavuos, and it just kept on going on and on. And then Ava Hamburger uh, joined us, and she... Um, you know, she was pushing for it. Let's make it into a real thing. So we made it into a nonprofit. And you know, once it becomes a nonprofit, it becomes more official, and more people are in tune into um, donating and helping us out. That's absolutely fantastic. So, how do people find out about you if they want to make these donations? Like people, like the, our listeners, if they want to donate, how would they find you? And and they should also watch the mention your beautiful YouTube movie that you have. Yeah, so we do have a website. It's koshertroops.com. We do also have a lot of following on uh, Facebook. We have a Facebook page, and that's uh, that's a lot more updated whenever, uh, you know, each time we do something. For example, all the um, Kosher Fest uh, pictures are there, and, uh, you know, the more of the updating stuff that we do on a, you know, on a more present time. Um, we are planning to uh, send... It's, I mean, Hanukkah packages uh, this uh, weekend for oh, packing for very that. nice. And what are you, who, who's helping you pack? Well, we always have volunteers. So we have volunteers that come and help us pack. And people can and find it's, you it's to done, volunteer? People can find you? Well, we have, we have a set uh, group of volunteers that always comes. And nice. you know, we're always welcome to have more volunteers. And, um, yes, that's how we do it. Everything that we do is on a volunteer basis. Nobody makes any salaries. 
So whatever money that gets donated goes straight to the tree. I would say more than 100% towards, uh, towards Beautiful. the Beautiful. What kind of companies are, are donating their product? Um, so we do have uh, Manichevis, Kedem, Awesome, Stripes. Uh, we have uh, the Challah Fairy gives us Challahs every week. Beautiful. We have um, Ableton Heyman is yeah. always helping us out. Yeah, Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Very nice. So if people want to get involved by volunteering or by donating some money or if you have a product you want to donate, these soldiers are all the way there in the stateside or they could be in Afghanistan, correct? Correct, absolutely. We actually started off with only the deployed ones. Right. Um, so we send everywhere, like uh, places like Afghanistan, Kuwait, Qatar, um, Korea, Germany, uh, England, um, Micronesia. Amazing. Uh, we have quite a, quite a few crazy places that we send to. <laughs> It's, it, it's such an incredible thing that you're doing, and I, I hadn't heard of you until I had met Captain Bram. So it's really a beautiful net thing that you're doing. Thank you so much for joining me. When I saw you guys at Kosher Fest, I'm like, I went over, I found you guys, I tracked you down, I said, I gotta have you on the show. Um, and maybe we'll be able to have a little bit, um, of our own show together. Um, maybe we'll bring our uh, packing team down and help you guys pack with some volunteers. It's such an amazing program that you do. Thank you very much. Thank and, you for the opportunity. We, no, no problem. We just want to wish all our soldiers in America are protecting the American borders and the, the troops in Israel protecting the Israeli borders. We think of you are davening for your safety every single day. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you very much, Sarah, for joining okay. me this morning. Thank, thank you. All right, take day. care. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye-bye. That was Sarah first for a very quick interview uh, for kosher troops. I just thought I would tie that in to our Thanksgiving show because we are really thankful. Thanksgiving Tashem for um, everything that we've got here in this country and around the world and our good health. Hopefully we all have, but, um, you know, uh, definitely, you know, for our troops here or abroad in Israel, I've got to keep saying Israel because we're thinking of you every day um, and davening for us all, um, keeping us all safe. So I, finally my last guest today, I just couldn't have a show without Orly. Orly and I uh, had first started email, emailing each other. A little bit before kosher fest, like a couple of weeks, a good couple of weeks ago already at this point. And Ollie has a product that I just, I couldn't believe when I, when I heard about it, when I saw it. And she was actually one of the winners at kosher fest. And we'll talk about that. Ollie has, um, brands, uh, blends by Ollie. Her real, her, her name is Ollie Goddess, man, but she's, she's otherwise known as blends by Ollie. And she has a product. Remember last week or two weeks ago at kosher fest, I was talking about how much gluten free stuff there was. So I kind of just had to, you know, give her my thanks. We're talking about thanking people for, for, you know, for bringing this to us. Now, a little secret. Orly's Australian, but she's also American. She's kind of like bi-coastal. Is that how we would yep. call it? Yep. I, um, my husband runs a, a business in Sydney and I'm running a business here. So sort of go back and forth. Doesn't she sound Australian? <laughs> I don't sound American. No worries, mate. <laughs> yeah, it's funny when we were talking a yeah. few minutes ago. We're like, ZK was about to turn on the the uh, those of you who are watching um, our interview on the YouTube Nachum Siegel channel. Um, you know, I'm like, before we start recording, we're like, does the shade look okay? And she's fixing herself all up, and she says, "How's my fringe?" And I'm like, nobody says fringe in America, and and I said, I don't say. Fr- um, they call what do they call it? Bangs. Bangs. Yeah. And in Australia, you say fringe. Yeah, so I, just, I went to get my. 
my bangs trimmed in Australia. And I said, I said to them, can I get my bangs trimmed? They said, you're what? I said, right here, pointed to my forehead. And they said, oh, you're fringe. Right. So since then, called fringe. Yeah, Can't help it. it. It's your colloquialisms. But I still say tomato. Yeah. Tomato. But tomato. Yeah. As I said, I'm here to it. Now 23 years. And tomato so. sauce in Australia is ketchup. Yeah. It's not what we call tomato sauce. Yeah, here. right. Tomato <laughs> sauce here. So how did you start this business? Why gluten-free products? You could have done a regular flour blend. Yeah. Well, uh, my initial inspiration comes from my husband, Josh, um, who's over in Sydney now. We, it's, um, it's about 40 degrees Celsius there, like ugh, 100 degrees right now. We're freezing it's out. It's summer. It's summer there. So Josh and I started dating. We met in NYU. We were both in the Jewish a cappella group. And so cute. So we, we sing this at is, weddings too. This is JM and the AM, you know. <laughs> you can sing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Next show. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, and so Josh grew up in a family of restaurant owners. He's the biggest foodie I've ever met, like really eats to live, lives to eat. Oh, sorry. yeah. Okay, you should bring lives him on. Lives to eat. Bring him on next. Oh, yeah, you get along with him. <laughs> and so uh, about eight years ago, he got diagnosed with celiac disease, which was very traumatic for, for him. At the time, uh, very few people were being diagnosed. There was very few um, – there were very few uh, – items available on the market. And um, shortly after we got married, we moved to Paris. He uh, launched a business there. Ha, ha, ha. Very nice. And, you know, Paris is great for someone like me who can eat all the gluten I want and, you know, go to all the different patisseries and try everything. But yeah. for him, you know, we would tell our servers that he couldn't eat wheat and they would look at us like we were crazy. They didn't know what gluten meant. They had no idea. Right. Very um, into their croissant. Very into their bread, their pawn. Um, and just for those of you who don't know what gluten is, let me just go ahead and yeah, explain please that. please explain that because I talk about gluten-free and I don't think I know what it means. <laughs> <laughs> something in the wheat. Yeah, something not good for you. <laughs> no, so so gluten is a protein that's found in wheat, barley, rye, and spelt, which is a wheat derivative. And um, it's the protein that a lot of people today are not able to, to digest correctly for different reasons, being celiac disease, which is autoimmune disease, uh, gluten allergies, and different sorts of gluten intolerances. And sensitivities, right? And sensitivities. So you don't have to be diagnosed with something if you just maybe have a bellyache. Yeah, it I mean, just the... it could be a bellyache, it could be bloating, it could be, you know, your your bathroom, your typical GI problems, as well as, for a lot of people, gluten is an inflammatory, the way sugar is an inflammatory. So sometimes people stop eating gluten and their migraines go away, um, their arthritis gets um, gets yeah. better, and, you know, it's anything that's sort of inflamed. If you take, if you go on a gluten-free diet, um, there are people that are just feeling a lot better on it. So like you said, they don't have to be diagnosed with a disease or with an allergy. Some people are just doing it because they, they really truly feel healthier. They feel less brain fog, like they could think more clearly. I mean, I met someone couple months ago who buys my blends and she said she used to be 300 pounds um, depressed suicidal she went gluten-free and she looks really thin and she's so happy so you know I wouldn't say everyone should be gluten-free but right. there are a lot of people that need it 
So back to the story. Yeah. Um, we, so I, I come from a background in human resources. And when we moved to Paris, I could not work. I didn't have a working visa. I didn't speak French. So I started taking, um, French baking classes. So many people I know do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the thing to do, like yeah, really a pa- child. Paula Shoya. Oh. Yeah. She was I on met our her show. last week. Isn't she fantastic? Yeah. She's so great. I can't wait till so her sweet. Pesach book comes out. But she also went to Europe for a working yes. thing with her husband. She couldn't get a job. So she went to Oh, uh, that's so funny. I yeah. didn't know that part of the story. Yeah. All right, so now we have something to bond over. Yeah. So about for about a year and a half, I apprenticed under this French pastry chef. And I'm someone that always loved eating dessert, but I never cooked. I never baked. It just wasn't my thing and fell in love with French baking. And then a year and a half later, we moved to Sydney where um, it was, it's, again, for Josh's business. And I attended the Cordon Bleu Culinary School there. And I, I didn't know we had that there in Sydney. Oh yeah, it's it's one of the biggest Accord on Blue campuses in the world. Where is it? It's in Ride. Oh okay, Ride. Yeah, all the way up in Ride. Okay. Yeah. So you probably know where that is better than I do these days. Yeah. Well, North Shore. I think that's a North Shore, right? I don't think so. Okay. I don't know. All the Aussies are going to kill me. That I <laughs> all I, right. I don't know exactly where it is. I just know I took a really long bus to get there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> where did you live in Sydney? We lived, we started off in this, in the CBD when, before we knew we were going to stay. Then we moved to Bondi Junction. Oh, nice. And now we're moving. We're, we just signed a lease on an apartment in Bondi Beach. Oh, I'm from Bondi. Oh, yeah. yeah. Lucky you. Okay. Yeah. Back to the story. So I was the only student in the program interested in gluten-free again because of Josh, my husband. So um, I launched an independent study with the head chef of the program, Chef Andre Sanderson. Big shout out to him. Um, on gluten-free French pastry, French product development. And I was given a test kitchen three mornings a week. I was given products by the chef to create gluten-free. And basically during that term, I just played with every gluten-free grain that you can think of, taught myself a tremendous amount, did just like tons and tons of trial and error. And that's really where I started creating Blends by Orly. What is today Blends by Orly? Because realize that you cannot use the same uh, mix of gluten-free grains, the same combination of gluten-free flour in a cake and in a pizza crust and in a bread and not compromise the taste and texture of one or the other. So I found those gluten-free grains that really complement different categories of baked goods and combine them in the appropriate proportions so that, you know, when you're trying to make a pizza crust and you use Tuscany blend. Yeah, I'm holding that in my hands. I'm just reading the back. Yeah, so you can read the ingredients in Tuscany blends um, on the bottom of the nutritional facts. It's got... Yeah, you, you, you read it. It's got white rice flour, sorghum flour, soy flour... Potato starch and tapioca it's, starch. It's almost pesachtic. <laughs> yeah, that one, except for the soy flour. But um, if you're Sephardic, if you're Sephardic, exactly. And Paris blend, for example, has coconut flour, um, brown rice flour, quinoa and, flour. So you just played with yeah. these different things. You like, I'll take a quarter of a cup of this and a yeah, half a cup. Of that. And no, that didn't work. Back to the drawing yes. board again. Yes. And Good for you. Started during that independent study. Um, actually, my my work was published at the Cordon Bleu. And you go, girl. Nice. So was, yeah, it was really exciting and gave me a springboard into really. You know, I would host tasting parties at my house. Um, tell. Pe- gluten-free and not gluten-free people to come over and make a dessert party with all gluten-free and have people give feedback and did a lot of market research and saw, 
you know, there's a ton of gluten-free mixes, baking mixes in right. the market and all-purpose flours that are like cup for cup for everything. But there's nothing that's a specific, unique blend that's used for a particular baking category. And it's something that, you know, really a gluten-free person has it and they feel like they're eating something normal. And when you use it, it's the same test texture and consistency as a regular dough. And it, and it can make, you know, depending on the blend that you choose, really makes um, the same sort of taste and texture as some as the regular version. And so um, people are, are just loving it because they can use it when they're cooking for the holidays and they have one gluten-free person coming over and they can use their own recipe and just replace it one-to-one. So um, that's that's really been my mission. You know, it's beyond just Josh and now it's just for the, the whole gluten-free community and um, allowing people to feel normal and to eat something that feels, that tastes delicious and doesn't feel gluten-free, quote-unquote. I cannot, I can't, I can't get over this. You know, I wanted to try going gluten-free. I just, I bought some cookbooks and there are some amazing ones out there. I have uh, something from Vicky Pearl. She has an amazing gluten-free cookbook and I make uh, her oat challah and her chocolate chip cookies with um, almond flour. Mm. Delicious. But it's just, you know, it's hard. It's different. It's mm. an adjustment. And when there's one member in the family who's gluten-free, that means you're making now a whole separate, you know, dinner for them. And, like, now with this kind of thing, you don't have to worry about that. You can right. just make the same thing for everybody. Right. You don't have to get a special gluten-free cookbook. Just use any of your own recipes and use blends by Orly instead of the regular, uh, instead of the wheat flour in the recipe. Nice. Okay, so what we spoke mm-hmm. about two of the blends. What else you've got here? Um, for those of you who are watching and listening, um, um, we've got a whole bunch. We've got about five different blends up here. Um, Orly spoke about the Tuscany blend. What, what's this one here? This London. Something? London blend. I can't see that. They're all on an angle for me. So what's this good for? So London blend is perfect for all types of cookies. So that would include, um, you know, sugar cookies, blondies, snickerdoodles, pretty much any type of cookie you would make, you can use London blend. This is what I was sampling when we were at Kosher Fest last week. Yeah. I was sampling my um, gluten-free oatmeal raisin chocolate chip cookies. Mm-hmm. Those are a real hit. You can get the recipe on my website too. What, which is? Blends by. Oh, blendsbyorly.com. Shout out to that. Go check it out. Go check it out. Um, so that's London Blend. And next we so, have. Yeah. Just a quick question. Yeah. I'm going inter- to. So if you want to make, say, any bread or pizza crust, you use the Tuscany. You want to make a cookie, you use the London Bread. Right? Like yes. You don't have to follow. This is not like buying a Duncan Hines cake no. mix where you're only getting a, va- a vanilla pudding. Right. A vanilla cake. Right. Or an angel cake or brownies. Right. You can use this for any one of your recipes. She does have a really, there's a really cute picture of her on the back. I don't know if you <laughs> can see that there. There's a picture of Ollie on the back. Um, but this one, you know, the Tuscan one's great for pizza and actually has a, Pizza recipe. Yeah, and the back of each bag tells you, gives you other suggestions for what you can use it for. And my website has a, a complete list of sort of anything you can think of and what blend you would use for okay, it. Okay, so what's the orange one? It the, says Sydney. This is, this is our favorite one. Okay, yay, Sydney. <laughs> this is a Sydney blend. And Sydney blend is perfect for brownies, muffins, pies, quick breads, quiche crusts. You can also use this um, in cooking. So you can use it for breading chicken and fish. You can use it as a filler in like a potato kugel or something like that. 
um, crumb toppings. So, and, and again, the reason that I, that I named these blends, these are all named after different places that I've either, either lived or spent a lot of time in. And, and what it makes is inspired by the sort of, um, local cuisine of that culture. So Sydney, it's, it's a very cafe culture, as you know. Yes, Sydney's all about the coffee shops. The world's best coffee is from oh, Sydney. The world's best coffee is Th- from Sydney. Thank you. Oh, thank you for acknowledging that because people think I'm crazy. No, no. You Starbucks are... did not quite make it there. They've all no. closed down. There's like one Starbucks In left. By Circular Key, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> In um, uh, Darling Harbour. Yeah, because exactly. They've closed down everywhere else. Nobody wants, yeah. they want good coffee. No, to be honest, when I moved, when I came back here from Sydney, I stopped i could not drink starbucks anymore right uh, i'm like i became a coffee snob yeah a sydney coffee snob way to go high five okay what's in the pink one so the pink one is paris blend and Ooh. this is perfect for cakes and cupcakes of all kinds that kind of makes sense because paris is all about the... yeah and also when i when i worked for the patisserie in paris i developed um a french line of american cupcakes for her she Ooh. wanted to do something sort of american influenced so that reminded me of this <laughs> and just to give you an example, you know, this one has coconut flour in it. So coconut flour has sort of a rich, sweet um, aftertaste. And that's why it's perfect for cakes is because cakes are supposed to be. So there's no added sugar in here, but coconut flour just naturally has a sweetness to it. So it goes, it complements complements cakes perfectly. Um, actually, this used to have almond meal in it, but I decided to make all my blends nut free as well. Because there were just too many people that had nut allergies. Yeah. I know. Whenever you have someone for lunch and Shabbat yeah. with a family, like, who's got an allergy? Because yeah. there's always someone. Always. Yeah. Always someone. It's unreal. Yeah. When I first started teaching 20-something years ago, right here on the Lower East Side, I taught mm-hmm. at the Yeshiva MTJ. And I remember you didn't let have kids have peanut butter because you worried that on the chunky peanut butter they would choke. Nobody thought they would die of anaphylactic shock. It was yeah. a whole different, different ball, ball game. game. And that was 20-something years later. It's nuts and seeds. And- yeah. We have to cater to the current, you know, set of allergies that we have for whatever reason. So there are more and more allergen-friendly products exploding on the market today. Kosher Fist was unbelievable. Mm, yeah, it was. It really was unbelievable. Oh, we have the Manhattan Blend. The last one is Manhattan Blend. And this one is for – this is what I use for challah, brioche, pastries, all sorts of yeast doughs. So while the Tuscany blend is more for white breads, like focaccia and burger buns and flatbread and pizza crust, this one is more for things like um, brioche and challah and, and, and yeast types of breads. And uh, we have a great challah recipe on okay. the website. Okay, so this is, I actually washed before the show started when Ollie bought these spreads out. So what is this? That's a gluten-free challah brioche roll. Okay, I'm gonna. So I'm just gonna tear this apart so yeah. everyone can see. Um, I washed before so I could eat. Look how moist that is. Are we getting a zoom up? Let's zoom up. Look, look how soft that is. When did you bake this? I baked that yesterday. Yesterday, and look, it's still moist. You'd think without all the gluten and without the preservatives, it would not be good. So I'm gonna just have a little nibble when yeah. you talk about where I can find this recipe. Yeah. Well, the recipe is on my website again, blendsbyorly.com. This is so good. Mm-hmm. I need some Vegemite. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Everyone's shutting off the show now. I, I'm shutting off now. <laughs> she can't. I'm not that Aussie. <laughs> yeah, you're not that Aussie. You have to be born in Australia and yeah. raised on it. Okay. I'm still a peanut butter girl. No, mm, Vegemite all the way. Okay, this is so, delicious. Actually, the secret is 
Um, I always recommend when using Manhattan Blend and Tuscany Blend with your own recipes, I always recommend adding 25% more water than your recipe calls for because gluten-free breads, like you said, dry out so quickly. So if you add uh, 25% to 30% is sort of the magic proportion. With your own recipe, 25% more water, and you get that added moisture um, and that better texture that you're eating right you're now. You're a scientist and a mathematician. <laughs> That's all I can say. What else have you got here? we got about a minute left. Oh, quickly. So it doesn't go fast. It goes so fast. When you're having fun. So these are chocolate chip cookies. Sorry, it's crankling. Yeah, and those are made with London Blend. This recipe is actually on the back of the London Blend bag. It's gluten-free chocolate chip cookies. You can add pecans to it if you don't have a nut allergy. (laughs) Then they're delicious. This looks great. Okay, ZK, you're going to have one with me. I'm going to get. There you go. All right, we're going to have a cookie. Okay, that sounds so French. (laughs) Rubs up, mate. Oh, and I brought you a treat. What? Because you asked me if they were still kosher. Right, because so, I heard they were losing the house. So, but they're still kosher they're now. Still, oh, thank I don't you know if they're so going much. To. Okay, I need a distributor to bring in <laughs> Tim Tams into Australia. Awesome cookies, but they do have gluten. I do love them very much. But I think these are just rocking. I love these. these thank are you. Amazing. Crunchy, crispy. I'm a big chocolate chip girl, and I like crispy, hard yeah. chocolate chip. You can also bake them for a minute less, and then they're chewy and soft. So okay, there you go. It depends on your liking. Okay, great. We're out of time. It's crazy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> How fast a show can go like I that. Know. I know. We have so much to say. Oh. And, you know, when Ollie approached me, just real quick, Ollie approached me. I said, yeah, I'm booked all the way through December, and I kind of move things around Thank to you. make sure that we have her on the show while she was here in United States before she goes back. Give yeah. my love to my mum in Sydney. I'll Aww, give her your number. I you'll, will. You'll give her a call. Thank Everyone, you, Everyone, thank you so much for uh, joining me today. This is Table for Two uh, on the Nacham Siegel Network. Also heard on Arut Sheva English Radio. Our show is sponsored by Abels and Hyman. We taste better. Stay listening for music right up until Lech Benching. Shabbat Shalom. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs>